Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love to talk to creative people about how they do their thing, how they hang in there, how they keep it going. And this week, my guest is Sam Bennett. Uh, she is an author. Uh, she has two books. One is called Start Right Where You Are. The other is called Get It Done. And they are both about firing up people to do what they're here to do, to be creative and make their uh, their dreams happen. Um, I met her at the Actors Fund. She came and spoke to us. She's also the founder of the Organized Artist Company, where she does a lot of teaching and coaching. And if that weren't enough, she co-wrote a musical that is opening next month. It's on November 9th through the 25th in North Hollywood at the El Portal Theater. It's called A Booth at Chasen's. And it's a two-person story about the romance of Ron and Nancy Reagan and how it all happened at a booth at Chasen's. Um, so we're going to find out all about all that stuff. But before we get to that, I want to mention my game again. You don't know my life. Uh, Sam was nice enough to order a, a game. So there. She knows the magic that's on the way. Uh, they're currently being manufactured. They'll be here in time for Christmas. And I'm just going to tell you a little story about it. Um me and my co-creator, Jeb, we were going to have a little play test on Saturday at T-Pop, one of our favorite hangouts, um, on the patio. And a few of the people that were supposed to come ended up not coming. And it looked like we might not have enough people. Um, but then there was a guy hanging out at, at a nearby table that was like, hey, what's that? Express an interest. And uh, his name was Claudio. And he's a musician. And um, he plopped down and played with us. And we played a question that was one of the last ones we added to the game and we'd never actually played it in a play test which is um what what was a low point in your life and what got you through it right that's a little heavy duty uh and he ended up telling a really beautiful story about his father and an accident that happened in their family and now everyone's okay but just the journey of it and i was like two minutes ago i didn't know this guy from adam and now he's sort of really um touching my heart in this kind of remarkable way uh, and then we told vomit stories as uh, the other question. So um, anyway, I was like, this game's magic. It just is. And I'm really proud about it. And uh, you can get your hands on it at youdon'tknowmylifegame.com. And now without any further ado, here is Sam Bennett. Hey there, I'm coming to you from beautiful Carpinteria, California. I can actually hear the ocean. And I'm here with my guest today, Sam Bennett. She's an author. She's also the founder of The Organized Artist Company. Thank you for having me in beautiful Carpinteria. Welcome to beautiful Carpinteria. I'm so glad you made it up to heaven. Well, I first <laughs> met you. I know it is heaven. I first met you at the Actors Fund. You came to speak to our group, and I just thought you were great. Funny and had so many good ideas and inspiring, and uh, so I kind of stalked you a little. I bought your books. I read your books, and here we are. I love that in a person. I love yeah. being stalked. <laughs> um, there is a mural in Carpinteria where I stopped to have lunch that says, America's Safest Beach. That's right. I really feel like they're asking for trouble with that mural. Like, it's a lot to boast about, is my point. Well, it's world's safest beach, except for the sharks. Exactly. Like, um, all it takes is one good... Isn't that what Amity used to say? Yeah. But. So the reason it's the world's safest beach is because it's... For a couple reasons. One is, this is actually... Unusually for Southern California, Carpinteria Beach is actually a south-facing beach. Oh, okay. So we don't get a lot of the... And then the Channel Islands are right there. So that prevents a lot of... of big surf and riptides yeah, and stuff. Okay. Um, and then it's a very shallow beach for a long time, so it's really good for kids to play in. Yeah. There's also a seal rookery, though, which is, of course, shark buffet. So wow, there are sharks. There are sharks. Have you? How close did you ever get to a shark? I've never been close to a shark. Okay, good. Okay. But I've been very close to dolphins and right. seals. 
Um, so you do a lot of things. Yes. And you have this great company. How do you describe what you do? I generally say that I'm a creativity productivity expert or creativity productivity specialist. You help people be creative. I help people be more creative. Get out of their own way. Exactly. And what does that look like? Is it is it in-person uh, courses or is it online things? I know you've come and spoken to our group. Right. It depends. Um, I mean, first of all, it's sort of at all levels. I mean, it's yeah. everybody from people who are like... I'd like to be more creative, but I'm not really sure how or what that right. would look like or where to start. Um, to people who are like, no, no, I'm pretty creative in my day-to-day life, but I've got this one project that I can't move forward on. Yeah. I've got this novel that's been sitting in a drawer. Or I got stalled out and I want to get back to it. Like I haven't painted in years or I want to get back to my dancing. Or right. um, and then there's some people who are plenty of self-acknowledged creatives uh, and they want to make money from their creativity. Yeah. So I help people sort of at all all of those stages. And it looks like a lot of different things. I mean, some people just sign up for, I have a little email series called 365 Reasons to Write. Yeah. And it just sends you a little inspirational kiss on the cheek, whack upside the head. Right. You know, thing. But what are you doing? You need a whack upside the head to write your thing to get the whack upside the head. I'm pretty, I more need wax to stop. Oh, that's a good kind of way to be. Yeah. Yeah. I really love to put my head down and work. In fact, yeah. In a way that's a little self-destructive sometimes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so sometimes it looks like just people reading my writing. Like you said, I, I, I've written some books. Um, I teach online quite a bit. I have a yeah. couple of courses that are available both on demand, and some of them happen live. Um, and I've got sort of a VIP course. Occasionally I do live events and retreats. Um, cool. Yeah. When did you first realize that you had a talent for inspiring other people in this way? That this was something you might be able to build on. Yeah, I started, um, I was actually teaching with someone else, um, and we had a lot of really happy clients and students, but they would come back and be like, I don't really know what to do with all this. I'm like, you don't know what to do with it. I know what to do with it. I can help you to figure out what to do with it. Right. So I started teaching class sort of under their auspices, and um, and then they, but it turned out they kind of didn't want it. They were like, no, no, we like what we do. You go do what you do somewhere else. Which at the time felt horrible. I felt like I'd been right. kicked in the stomach. But it was one of those presents that didn't look like a present. Right. Right? So I started, so I called it the Get It Done Workshop, and I just started doing it like in a church basement in Van Nuys for nine That's where people. where all the good things happen. <laughs> right? In a church basement in Van Nuys. Um, and it was just one of a lot of things I was doing, because I was working as an actor in L.A. Yeah. So I was, I had jobs and gigs and projects and shows and auditions and you know, this very complicated life, but about once or twice a year I would offer this workshop, mostly as a way to just bring in some extra cash. Right. And also I did notice that I was good at getting projects done and seeing things, you know, producing shows or right. you know, deciding, you know what, I think I need a voiceover career and getting some training and doing my demo and getting an agent and starting, like, that wasn't hard for right. me. And I noticed that it was hard for a lot of my yeah. creative friends. And I got so interested in this question of how do creative people make decisions? Yeah. Like, how do you know what to do next? How do you promote your thing? How do you, you know, should you have a podcast? Right. Should you do YouTube videos? Should you stand on the corner wearing a sandwich board? Like, right. who knows? Drive around like that dude with the car, you know? Like, who knows what you're supposed to be able to do? And, and that really started to interest me about really helping people tune into their natural wisdom, their natural creative rhythms, their own intuition, their own zones of genius and helping them figure out really what the right path for them is. 
are creative people different than people that are maybe more into, I'm a businessman, or I'm a... Yes. I mean, all people are different, but... Um, all people are different, and everyone's special um, right. in their own way. Yeah, there is... Actually, what my next book is about, I, think, I love it. Is highly creative people. And about 10% of the population qualifies as highly creative. Right. And what exactly that means is... I'm still, I'll let right. you know as soon as the book comes out. Um, but it's, uh, it has to do with um, a gift for complexity. Right. A high tolerance for ambiguity and risk. An ability to put ideas together in, in interesting ways. And this is one I just was reading about recently. For highly creative people, the ability to think both fast and slow at the same time is quite high, which is really unusual. That's what like improvisers do. Um, people are right. in a band. So like uh, on the one hand, they're thinking fast. They're in, they're just in flow. They're just doing right. what's in front of them. They're just they're grooving, but they're also thinking slow. They're thinking, oh wait, we just dropped that line from that. So, okay, if I say this, I can give him the cue again, and then a little more big up, picture. A little more big picture. Like you're sort of editing as you go. The ability right. to kind of edit as you go. Right. Um, and most. That's a pretty unique skill. Most people cannot do that, and, and people who are highly creative can. That's interesting. Yeah. Do you study up on this stuff a lot? Do you love to read about it? And... Dude, I nerd out the, about the, creativity the all the time. neuroscience of creativity. <laughs> it's your coffee table book is the neuroscience of creativity. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah, I nerd out about yeah. creativity studies all the time. But, like I said, but everyone is some creative. I don't believe there's anybody who's not creative. Sure. Everybody has, and everybody has some zone of creative genius yeah. and I feel like if people can plug into that um, you start to lead a much happier and more lit up life right there was an interesting study that I read some time a while ago find it um, where they were talking about bringing more creativity into the workplace yeah I said, you know if you have a group you know damn marketing team and you give them they're not supposed to you know do whatever in this meeting well they're marketing experts if you tell them what to do they'll do it and they'll do a good job if you take a moment at the beginning of the meeting to remind them who else they are, something about their heritage or something about their life or something about their hobbies, you know, so somebody goes, oh, you know, I'm of Japanese heritage, or oh, I'm the father of three boys, or oh, I love to jet ski, they will have a more successful meeting. They will come up with more interesting ideas and they will work better together. If you remind them of that they're more than what this role is. Exactly. Interesting. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Isn't that cool? That is good to know about. Uh, one of the things that I still remember that you said in, in one of the times you came to speak to us is you said you st sort of stepped away from show business because you got tired of everyone telling you how talented you were. <laughs> and it resonated so much. I don't know why. But there, that feels arrogant. But I know that feeling of like, uh, but the, if that's true, then why is yeah. it so, why uh, has it been such a, Tough road. Yeah. Yeah. If only talent were it, right? Like, right. If only talent were enough. Yeah. 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 No, it's true. I definitely, it does sound arrogant. And, but I know a lot of people will recognize this feeling of like, seriously, if one more person told me how talented I was, I was going to punch him in the face. I like, know. You'd rather hear like, you know what? You just don't have it. Right. And you go like, okay, oh, great. Oh, what a relief. Great. I'll move back to the Midwest. Yes, and I don't like... need to do this. You know? <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Yeah. I, I had a little insight actually into what I think might have might have happened with my acting career. And I actually just ran it by a friend of mine, um, uh, an industry friend of mine, who's 
familiar with my work and he thought that, that I might really be onto something. Um, we were just, so I wrote this show, right? Yeah, we did talk about that. I wrote the book to a musical and we were just having auditions a couple months ago, a month or two ago. And first of all, that was just really interesting, watching people fire themselves as they walked in the door, like watching the things that people the do. The thing that, that people do that sort of undermine their own, their own chances. People that, the way people sabotage themselves is just amazing. It's um, so interesting to be on the other side, isn't it? It is, and it had been a while. So, I mean, I'd been yeah. on the other side before, but it had been right. a while. And uh, so that was that was interesting. There was one woman who came in. Let's call her Jane. Okay. And she, there were a lot of really talented people, but she just knocked the cover off the ball. I mean, she was unbelievable. She got every bit of that script. She put, she found things that were funny that I didn't even know were in there to be funny. Like, right. she just... Killed it. We get to the end of the day and we're looking at the headshots and okay, who are we calling back? And okay, this person, this person, this person, this person. Um, the casting director and I both point to Jane and we're like, oh my gosh, I mean her, 100% yeah. her. She was my favorite all day. And the director says, no. Are you crazy? She was brilliant. And the director says, yes, she was brilliant. But she's not, the character's name is Nancy. She's not Nancy. Well, okay, but she's brilliant. The director goes, then write her a play because she's not Nancy. Right. And I was like, oh, I think this may, because my whole acting career in Hollywood was like, call back, call back, call back, call back, don't get it. Call back, call back, call back, call back, don't get it. Call back, call back, call back, go to producers, don't get it. Like, I went to producers so many times on Star Trek, whatever it was, Voyager or whatever, so many times that Ron Sterma thought they'd hired me. <laughs> I'm going to call back who looks like him, me, yeah, LeVar. they're going to have you at the convention. Right? Well, you know, him, me, LeVar Burton. He's like, well, you've done the show, Sam. And I'm like, actually, funny, no. <laughs> yeah, haven't, haven't done it. <laughs> haven't done it. Oh, my God. But I think this, but I'm almost 5'11", right? right? And, you know, it's, you at home may not know, people in Hollywood tend to be quite small. They're small bodies with giant yeah. heads and giant hands, especially on television. Um and I think it's what happened over and over again that, like, it, I was talented enough for them to want to see me again, but every single, because there aren't really any storytelling archetypes for women who are 5'11", right. who aren't, you know, lesbian gym teachers, right? Um, and I got plenty of those parts, uh, Every I think every time it just got to, like, yeah, she's great, but... She's not Nancy. She's not Nancy. Wow. What did that feel like to, did it feel like, I don't know how to make you feel and to click into that? It felt a little bit like a relief. Yeah. Um, like, okay, that's an explanation I can I can live yeah. with. That sort of makes sense, you yeah. know. Um, and it in some ways made me feel better. I was like, wow, you know, given that, it's amazing I ever worked at all. Yeah. You know, yeah. given how the way to look at it different I am physically. And and on the other side there was a woman who came into those same auditions who was so T V. She was TV pretty. She was TV talented. She was t it was like, go, sweetheart, go make a zillion dollars on television. Right. And I'm sure she's going home at night going, why can't I get any of these theater jobs? Right. Well, honey, because you're a TV actress. That's why. Yeah. Wow. So. Um, the, the show is called A Booth at Chasen's, mm -hmm. and it's the love story of Ronald and Nancy Reagan. Is that right? It is. Tell me more about it. Like, what, how did you get involved? So my best friend, Phil Swan, has written, has written a couple of musicals and shows, yeah. and he had been doing some work with Al Kasha. Al is, you might know, as an Academy Award winner, um, he wrote the song, There's Got to Be a Morning After. Yes. 
Poseidon Adventure. Poseidon Adventure. He wrote another Academy Award winning song that I can't remember what it is right now. Um, All Dogs Go to Heaven, Pete's Dragon, right. Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Like, Al's a big deal. So he and Al had been working and on some different projects. And then Phil got this idea. And what he said to me was, because these two people met and fell in love, the history of the world was changed. That's interesting. That's what I said. I said, that's interesting. That, because, you know, I'm not a political person. Right. I don't have any big feelings about the Reagans one way or the other. Right. Um, but that was interesting. And I love, I think the other reason Phil asked me is because I love the hottest Hollywood gossip from 1952. Yeah. Like, I'll, I've read Shelley Winters' books sure. and all those, you right. know. She's got a lot of stories. She slept And with she'll tell them. She slept with everybody, <clears throat> man. Yeah, good. She's awesome. Um, but I love reading all those Hollywood biographies. So it's a, it's a time and a place that I was familiar with. So he asked you to contribute and write the book. To write the book. Nice. Oh, he said, you done that before? A book to a musical? No. <laughs> How hard was it? Um, it wasn't that hard, mostly because it really played to my strengths. I could do, I can do dialogue and I can right. do character. I can't do plot. I have no gift for plot at all. Luckily, it's a love story. It didn't need plot. We know how the story goes, right. right? So it's a little two-person show. It takes place over the course of eight dates over two and a half years. Right. Um, and it was so fun to, to learn about them. I did a ton of research and reading, although I relied mostly on their own autobiographies. Because I was interested in how they knew yeah, themselves. Yeah, how they saw it. Right, rather than some other writer's perspective on right. you know, assigning motives or assigning Yeah, they wrote about it. That's the best place to go, I would think. Yeah, and it's fun to sort of look for the, the telling detail or the yeah. little turn of phrase and, and turn those into people. Would they meet at Chasen's? Was that their thing? It was. Their first date was actually at a restaurant called LaRue's. Right. But after that, they often <clears> went to Chasen's. The booth number two was their booth. And you can see it. It's at the Reagan Library. They have the booth there. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Did you go, what was the Reagan Library like? You know, I've, uh, it's been a couple of years since I've gone and apparently they've got some new stuff there that's amazing. Um, it's cool. But, you know, again, I was so much more concerned with their early days. Right. The whole thing about was so many years before he ran for governor or anything. Right. So there was a lot of that later material that I just didn't need and wasn't interested in. That idea that they they met and changed, because they fell in love, the world changed. What was your sense of what she gave him that made it possible for him to succeed as a politician? I think she had a much bigger vision, vision for him than he ever had for himself. And I think, you know, they used to write about the gays. Right. You know, every time he was speaking, she would just... Oh, I thought you meant the G-A-Y-S. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, he didn't want to that... talk about that stuff. No, he wasn't so popular mm -hmm. with no, the game. No, no. He kinda... I'll still see your show. Yeah, no. He... But I am going to have a little chip on my shoulder. You can hold a grudge, because he yeah. seriously dropped the ball. Yeah, he was the, the worst. That was really bad. Yeah. That was really bad. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, but she had the gay, the way she looked at him. The way she looked at him. And, you know, there's something about... Uh, that kind of unconditional approval and affection that changes a person. Right. You feel like you can do things. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, has it been fun to be involved in the production of costumes? And are, you, are you, how in the mix are you? It's been so fun. And, you know, it's been a long, we've been in total development hell. It's been years and years of like, it's happening. No, it's not. We got the funding. No, we didn't. There's a new producer. No, there isn't. You just, uh, the check yeah. is on the, oh no. <laughs> like, right. So many times it's been almost, almost, almost. Yeah. And then this time, though, it just really came together, and it is a real class A 
production. And it's one of the great joys of living in Los Angeles is that some of the most talented people in the world live here. Yeah. And, you know, the set designer was an Emmy Award winning set designer. And he was telling me about how he, you know, made sure that the wainscoting was the exact, he measured it. You know, I don't so even know what that is. Wainscoting? It's, it's, wainscoting is the, the, when you've got a wall and half of it's plaster and half of it's oh, yeah, boards. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes that's wainscoting. Okay. And, uh. And you see it a lot in restaurants, so that when people push back their chairs, they're not denting the paint. That makes sense. They're denting the chair rail. Uh, but he was, you know, making sure that the distances on that and the yeah. lamps, like, everything was exact. He was kind of... I love it. I know. And I just love that they're nerding out on... Yeah. So it's really exciting. What's the music like? Hard rock? Pop. Heavy metal? Yeah, right. A lot of heavy metal. <clears throat> exactly. Um, <clears throat> it's mostly straight-up American pop music. Um, and it's, it's just the two of them. It's just the two of them. I love it. Yeah. Are you excited? I'm so Do you have an excited. outfit for opening night? I had, I was <clears> so <throat> busy with my outfit for first rehearsal. Right, I even, exactly. I haven't gotten even... to the outfit for yeah. opening night well, yet. Well, it opens soon. It November does. 9th. Yeah. Have they started rehearsing yet? Or We had our first rehearsal on Monday. Yeah. Yeah. And your words come to life? It's amazing. Now, this is interesting because <clears throat> in a way you've sort of stepped away into this other field, and yet you have this big show busy, fabulous dream happening. Why? <laughs> like, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? And how can I, how do I make that? What, what's the point? It's sort of like you let the pot simmer on the back burner moment. What's happening? I think that's some of it. I think um, there's definitely a lot to it that just says, keep doing your work, keep putting your work out there, keep putting one foot in front of the other. Try not to keep score too closely. Just right. keep going. And don't be afraid to let your work out of the house because you never know right. what's going to happen. Right. So that's sort of the teacher part of me saying... Yeah, this is the lesson. Be inspired. Yeah. Uh, but I will also tell you that part of the reason I'm here, both emotionally and professionally and physically in this physical location, is because my life kind of fell apart seven or eight years ago. Um, the way life does yeah. sometimes, right? And I did what everybody does, which is I spent six weeks crying on the couch. Right. And having those deep soul-searching, like, oh, crap crap, how did I get here? Like, oh, <clears throat> I am not the person I thought I was. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. That's disappointing. <laughs> um, uh, so having those real sort of come to Jesus conversations with myself. And um, it's not that often as an adult that you get to sort of burn down your life and say like, all right, well, light a match. What else burn? You know, like yeah. what else does, can go? Let it wreck. Let it wreck. And I ended and then I thought, well, maybe I in carpentry because I'd always been fascinated by the sound. I thought, like, well, I'll come up for a writing retreat, quote unquote writing retreat, right? Right. And then I got another short term rental, and then I got another short term rental, and then I just moved. And almost immediately, my life skyrocketed. My business doubled. Like Mister Tall, British, and Handsome walked in the door and was like, "Hi, I'll do anything for you." <laughs> like, oh, like hi. <laughs> there good for you right and the you know the book got published and the, the business has grown and the uh, it has a i hate to say it because it's such an incredibly awful painful experience but you kind of do have to let go of everything you ever thought your life was about right no i get it in order to open up the doors for the life that you're actually supposed to be living yeah i kind of relate that relate to that a lot i was part of a writer's strike a few years ago on fashion I was one of the writers on fashion police uh-huh and um we weren't in the guild the show wasn't but i was so i was in a weird place already 
and I stood with the guild and went on strike, and I, and I, I haven't really worked writer credit. I mean, here and there, but I, it was the right thing. So, but it was one of those, and I'm still in it. You know, yeah. I'm still not uh, back really on my feet in a way. But what I've learned through all of that, if I make it through, what I've learned through all of that is is stuff that I'll carry with me for the rest of my life. Like really good stuff about myself. But yeah. I'm still in the wood. I'm not out of the wood yet. Um, but um, I'm inspired by by what you say. What was what brought you to the the low point? Was it career stuff? Was it my marriage? My second marriage fell apart. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, it was a one-two punch of alcoholism and infertility. Just. Yeah. Took that marriage down. And we still, I mean, I love all my husbands. Right. I have pioneered the field of loving, amicable divorce. I'm, yes. You were with conscious uncoupling before it was a oh, thing. Totally. I'm a big fan of conscious uncoupling. Um, and you know what? We made fun of her for that. And now I think we use it a lot and we're glad that it exists as a phrase. We needed a term for it. And actually, Thank I, you. I, I know Catherine Woodard Thomas, um, yeah. who's one of the writers who, who created that and, yeah. and wrote the book. And yeah, no, we. You know, Gwyneth is easy to mock, but yeah, she's got she's, a lot. She, she's bringing she's a lot. Like, she's bringing a lot to the table. <laughs> she's bringing a lot to the table. I'm gonna let. I gotta yeah. apologize for any time I ever rolled my eyes at Gwyneth. Yeah, that's all right. I, I like. I'm actually. She was one of the first people I interviewed back when I started um, doing reading rooms. Yeah, and I had a blast with her, and we were kind of friendly for a while. And so there's a side of her that you don't always see. There's kind of goofier, pop culturey. She's like talked a lot about Saint Elmo's Fire, and you know, so. Yeah, I love I love Gwyneth. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of stuff went down at one time. Um, I saw a movie a few years ago, and I, I I know you'll know the name of it about an improv group. Um, and Keegan Michael Key mm-hmm. is in it, and you he wrote the foreword for your book. But it was about well, I can't remember what it was called. Yeah, Bart, Mike Birbiglia. Take it away, or yes, it's, uh, it has some three word title that doesn't stick with my mind. But anyway, it was about yeah. this group of people that mm-hmm. were all artists together, and then all of a sudden, some took off and some didn't. Mm-hmm. And I, I imagine that that's something that you relate to when you're in Hollywood with a group of people, especially something as tight as an improv community. Totally, yes. If you've ever wondered what it's like to be in an improv group, and an improv group with Keegan-Michael Key, yeah. see that film. Yeah. Um, and it's the, the name of which we can't remember. But Google it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. No, it was, it, it was one of the other weird things about... about life. I mean, I grew up in Chicago, um, spent my first year of college at UC Santa Cruz, and then came back to Chicago and was at Northwestern. And then I left Northwestern to basically start working at the Second City. And I was at the Second City from 1985 to 1994, mostly working in the office. I ran the box office. I was the assistant to the producers. Um, but I went through training center there and I took the classes and, and I finally got hired as an actor. But I was part of that Second City family during the one of the biggest comedy booms of all time. Right. So, you know, on my box office staff was Jeff Garland, Steve Carell, Peter Marietta, who's a big showrunner now, um, Eric Spixnagel, who's an award-winning writer. Um, like, that's in the box right. office, right? And, you know, Bonnie Hunt and Richard Kind and, uh, I mean, just everybody. Like, Steve Carell right. played, was that... You can see there's a picture from my first wedding, and there I am in the big white dress because it's my wedding. Right. And a bunch of our work friends. And it's Jim Belushi and Amy Sedaris and Nia Bardellis and Ian Gomez and Steve Carell and Steve Colbert and Charlie Hartsock, who's Carell's producing partner. And like, it's a who's who of Hollywood. Adam McKay, you know, Rachel Dratch. We were all just, you know, kids 
going down to do a show in Bloomington, Normal, Illinois for 75 bucks. Right. You know, um, and there is, I have had to do a lot of work around that because, yeah, it's hard to be friends with people who are that stratospherically famous. Right. Um, and, and feel like, huh, where, where the, where, how did I put, well, where did I put a foot wrong? I know. And then there's that moment when they first start happening and you're like, it's all right. You know, they kind of break and then I'll get mine and then we'll just kind of go up and down and that'll be, and then there's a point where you go, oh fuck, I'm out. I'm right? full. <laughs> I'm so far behind. I'll never catch up. Right. That's the way it sort of feels. I relate to that very much. And, and, and <clears throat> there's one of them who, um, you know, refers to fame as an unfortunate blessing. Yeah. And it's a mixed bag. Which it is. And I finally had to, I, the place I finally got to is, like, it's a little like being on the Olympic team, but not making it off the bench or something. Like, right. I finally have to, like, you know, I was good enough to, to play right. with the big kids. I was in the mix. I was in the mix. I was there. A lot of people never even made it yeah. to there. And that thing of, like, you know, really, Sam, you're going to be disappointed in your life because you didn't make it to the point zero 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 one percent yeah. Of fame and fortune? Like, really? There's a, uh, another movie I really like called Skeleton Twins with um, Bill Hader. Yeah. <sighs> My adore. I yeah. love you, Bill. He's um, cute. He is. He's cute. And, uh, and there's and a great Wig. line. And Kristen Wiig. And Kristen Wiig has a great line in there where she's like, this is your big problem? That you didn't become a movie star? Really? Yeah. Because <laughs> like, the rest of us are out here, like, dealing with life. Yeah. I don't know. That, that line had a big impact on me. I was like, oh, she's got a good point. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, I was looking through your books and some of your my favorite things. Um, I love the the where you write about get a C and your epiphany around get a C. Can you say a little about that? Yes, I like lots of people and lots of creative people, especially suffer from anxiety and depression. And some days it's better, and some days it's worse. And there was a point in my life when the anxiety, especially, was really bad. Yeah, and I yeah, and I just felt like I was getting judged all the time, and like everything had to be perfect, or it just was worth nothing. Right. Which made me so fun to be around, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so fun to work with. Um, and so I, I I came up with this idea that like okay, if I can't if I can't get rid of the idea that I'm constantly getting graded, what if I just try to get a C? C is the grade that you get for showing up and doing the work. Show up, do the work, show up, do the work, show up, do the work. Not doing the work better than anybody else, not doing any extra credit projects, right. or sitting in the front row like, I know the answer. Right. Right? Just show up and do the work. Average. And the funny story that goes with it is I told this to my sister. We're very close. And she was like, oh, that sounds interesting. Sure, knock yourself out. And then we were went on to talk about what we were actually on the phone to talk about, which is that my father had moved into a new apartment and we wanted to do a little housewarming present. And I said, I would take care of it. A couple of days later we're on the phone again. And Andy says, so did you get something for dad? Said, no, I haven't yet. I said, well, something nice, but you know, kind of broke. So not too nice. Maybe something for the kitchen, but he has a lot of kitchen stuff, maybe towels, maybe monogrammed. And my sister goes, stop, Sam, get a C, send a plant. Right. Six words. Get a C, send a plant. <laughs> Get a C, send a plant. 1-800-Flowers.com, $37 later, there's a Diffenbachia on this way to my father. And he calls the next day, oh, you know, aren't we the most wonderful children? And they hit the spot. 
All I had this, it was yeah. all I needed, you know, and, and I, my desire to find the perfect thing to give to my father was preventing me from finding anything. Right. My willingness to take the cheap, obvious option allowed me to do what we really wanted to do, yeah. which was just let him know that we loved him. And this little tidbit of get a C has helped so many people. And for those of you who are like kind of breaking out in hives over the whole idea, let me just say two things. <laughs> I can feel the apple polishers being like, right. no, 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 no. I can't get a C. Yeah. I can't get a C. I'm an A, you know. Okay, first of all, your version of a C is probably everybody else's version of an A+. Right. Or at least an A. Right. You may have noticed this already. That, yeah. Like, you do things and you're like, mm, and everybody else is like, oh, you did that? You made that? Oh, my God. Yeah. Right? So that's one thing. But the other thing is, you know, if you get it out there and it needs to be made more perfect, then you will make it more perfect. Right. You know, you'll rewrite the blog post. You'll, yeah. you know, director's cut 2.0. Like, you'll make it better. It's no big deal. Like, right. But get it out there first and see if anybody cares. Right. That's the thing. Um, there are so many things. That I'm developing two new businesses. I have the game, which you were lovely enough to pre-order. I think you're going to love it. And uh, I, this other business where I interview people about their lives mm -hmm. um, called Livecast. But it feels like everyone now has to have an email list and has to have a social media presence. And has to have this, and you have to have free content, and all that. And I'm like, can I just have a job? Yeah. There's times where I think, can I just have a job? Do you ever think that? Um, no, but it took me a long time. Right, you made <laughs> peace with it. I did. So the thing is, yes, you can just have a job, but then you have to have a job. Yeah, that's true. Right. Oh, <laughs> I knew there was a catch. I knew it. Yeah. Uh, it means you don't get to be in charge. Right. So if you want to run your own business, if you and if you're a creative you you are yeah. and, and there's never been a better time to be a maker of things right there's never been a better time to be a storyteller there's never been a better time to be a creator because the barrier to entry is so low you know what used to be the gatekeepers of the r&d people in the music industry or the casting directors i mean if we wanted to do a television show we could hold up my iphone and start a television show right now right right so and we could reach the people who were really into whatever it is we wanted to do pretty right. easily thanks to social media, this may be why God made the intertubes, right? right? Is to bring us all together this way. Um, and it does feel, I get it that it feels like a lot of extra work to have to build your email list and have a social media presence and spend a lot of time promoting your own work. But I just always remember that, you know, marketing is a conversation. It's not like a one-way blast. And if it is a one-way blast, you're doing it wrong. Right. And that is going to be exhausting because you're not getting anything back. Right. But when you're really initiating conversations with other people who are into what you're into, it doesn't feel so tiring. It feels it feels kind of fun and, and like you're building a community and a tribe. I love that. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Um, you wrote a poem. You like poetry. And I love your poems, by Thank the way. Thank you. Um, you wrote one called Ode to a Drama Teacher. Mm -hmm. That is just sublime. And it's just a tribute to all the drama teachers and the way they inspire people. And they're in these small town. I grew up in a small town, and my drama teacher was the biggest, most biggest influence on me. What yeah. inspired that poem? I got asked to speak actually um, at the California Theater Educators Association right. uh, conference at, at Selimar a couple of years ago. Um, a really good friend of mine, James Bailey, James Thomas Bailey, who runs comedy sports. I also did comedy sports oh, yeah. for a lot of years. So James was heading up that conference and called me up and said. Yeah. If I give you 50 bucks, can you come? You know, like I totally waived my, right. you know, usually I have five or 10K for a keynote. And I was like, 
no, no, no. For you, James, and for those people, absolutely. So I went up and spoke, and I, and I, and I wrote it for them um, because, yeah, those those drama teachers saved me. They and I was that theater nerd. I went to drama. I went to theater camp. I All did of that. every show. I was. What were your big roles? Um. Well, at theater camp, at Camp Harand, they divvied up the lead roles. So you would like be the lead between act one, scene three, and act one, scene five, oh, wow. like that, so that everybody kind of so got like a five Mama Roses or whatever. Right, exactly. Wow. So, um, but I was Babe in Pajama Game. Okay. And then in school, I was Sergeant Sarah. Um, and we did. Gosh, we just did we did so many shows. I went to a very arts intensive school, right. so we did a lot of stuff. But. Um, yeah, they absolutely saved me. Absolutely. They gave you a place to fit in, a place to be. Yeah, yeah, and a place where it was okay. You know, everything you get criticized for as a, as a kid of being too sensitive and too imaginative and too dreamy and too emotional and, like, grow a skin and get over it. Like, in theater, that's all an advantage. Yeah. <laughs> that, that capacity for feeling, that intuition, the desire, like, all I would do is read, you know, the, the instinct for story and storytelling. And what town were you, where were you at? Chicago. Right. Mm-hmm. In the city. In the city. Wow. Very John Hughesy. <laughs> John Hughes was on the suburbs, man. I was yeah, you were in the, you were, yeah. I was, I was, when, when, on the day off, that was where I, when they come to town. That's where you go. That's yes. where I was. So, yeah, no, Chicago, and Chicago was an amazing what place, a place to, to grow, grow up. up. Yeah, I mean, Steppenwolf was right around the corner. I would go see their shows all the time. I mean, yeah. there were some of their shows I saw eight or ten times because I could. But I, I love the poem because it really hits on those shows. It was, you mentioned Arsenic and Old Lace again. And, of course, I was in that. I was Mortimer. Yep. But it was like those classics that just high school, they can't get away from it. And they're always good. And I don't know. I just thought it was perfect. Thank you. And you have it as a poster available on your... I do. So if you have a theater teacher in your life and you want to give them something special, go to uh, theorganizedartist.com, right? The organizedartistcompany.com. I think that one you can actually find at dramateacherpoem.com, too. Oh, wow. It's yeah. got its own URL. It's a little, you know, it's yeah. a little self page. Yes. Do you miss acting? Like a limb. Yeah. Yeah, all the time. Um, and I actually... Uh, but I don't feel like it's over. Like, I don't, I don't ever feel like I'm not an actor. Right. I just feel like I'm not currently acting. Right. Um, I, have, I have some weird feeling like it's going to come back around. That's good. In, a, in some in some way I can't anticipate yet. Uh, but yeah, no, and I actually, you know, in our team meetings, uh, on the first team meeting of the month, my head coach asks everyone in the team meeting, so how's your creativity going? Because while it is the stated purpose of the business to help encourage creativity in others, if we're not doing that ourselves, we kind of got to call bullshit, right? Right. So, so you're talking within your company. Within my own company, right. Yeah. So... And, you know, sure enough, my, you know, VA is doing some, you know, is always doing some fun art project with her kids. And right. Leonore's, you know, written a poem a day for like the last two and a half years. And she's a music- musician. And then they would get to me and be like, so Sam, how's your creativity going? And I'm like, yeah, I wrote a bitch and sales page. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> like, hmm. So I actually went back and started taking an acting class um, a year or two ago. And it was, it was, it was, it was fun. You still doing it? No. Um, yeah. Mm-mm. Um, the part that was really funny though was uh, the acting teacher wanted to meet with me, you know, have a coffee ahead of time, make sure it would be a good fit. Right, fine, we have coffee, and you know, we're chatting this, that, the other thing, and then he does that thing where he where like I say something and he goes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yes, but is it? And 
like leans forward with his hand on his knee, chin, like very right. like deep. And I'm like, oh, you're an acting teacher. Right. <laughs> like, oh, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. I remember how to talk to you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's that. That's what you're dealing with there. Yeah. 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 It all comes back. It's like dealing with a producer. Like you yeah. meet somebody in a coffee shop. You're like, you're pretty, you look familiar. And they're like, well, and you're like, oh, you're a producer. Yeah. Right. That's why you're like that. I remember now. <laughs> I think one of the things that I've discovered in the last several years, maybe you'll relate to this, is that I think we think that we have to be blindly devoted to our career in show business. Or karmically, it won't happen. If we do anything else and make a little bit of money on it or even enjoy it, then the gods of show business are not going to give us our break or something. It's a prison of desire. Oh, thank you for distilling that. It's a prison of desire. And I really, that was something else. I paid out a God's own fortune to some of the best coaches in the world. And I would recommend everybody else do the same. Like if you don't have a really good mentor or coach, get one. Um, you mean for life, not in terms of business. But. Either way. Yeah. You know, because that was very much how I acted. I acted like I had these blinders on and like the only thing that mattered was acting. And you, if you have to want it enough. And you have to want it enough and you can't move your eye off it for a second. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, you can't let your faith waver for a second. And this, um, and that's what's going to get you the gig, not the audition or the right. And and what I, but what I realized was that like I had all these other skills and talents, and I was acting like none of them mattered. Yeah, you know, like oh, the writing didn't matter, and teaching didn't matter, and like nothing counted, only acting counted. And the minute I went, wait a minute, the creativity is all the same. Like the me that is the actor is the same me that's the writer is the same me that's the teacher is the same me that loves to go speak and give keynotes. This is the same, you know, that's all the same. That loves to cook dinner. You know, that's the same. It's all the same creative juice. Right. So in fact, the more time I spend on one, the more the other gets fed. It doesn't diminish acting to right. have me become a better writer. So, but that took a minute. Right. Well, it's also you, you're afraid that the, that if the business sees that you're a writer, that they'll think you are not as talented or something, right? Or, but it, I don't think it's true. No. I think they might think you make it makes you more interesting, or I don't know, less yeah. desperate, something. That was a shift for me. Well, and here's the other thing that happened is the the last acting, last big acting gig I had was a day on Modern Family. Yeah. Um, because Jeff Greenberg had called me and like. 30 times over the last nine years and right. finally cast me. And uh, it was great. It was a great little part. One of the finest 28 seconds of television you'll ever see. Love it. And, uh, you know, Gail Mancuso was directing, another Chicago girl, Rob Riggle, Ty Burrell. And I mean, it was great. It was a very happy set because it's a great show and everybody knows it's a great show. Yeah. And it was a great day. And I noticed I was kind of bored. That's a... Good for you. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm like, so happy for you. I know. I yeah. mean, I was like, I was like, wow, this is about as big of a gig as, yeah. you know, I've had. And yeah, working on TV is a little dull. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. And then, and that, it, it does sort of feel like if, you know, if you love something, let it go. And if it comes yeah. back to you, then it's yours. And if not, you know, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. It's um, it's interesting. Like, there's a, so many movements now, self help type things, coaching things like that. When I was growing up in my little town, I don't remember any adults working on themselves. That's not something people did. 
Well, there's or maybe they did in their own way, or maybe they, you know, my mom went to her bowling league, and maybe that was part of what made her feel, uh, you know, kind of kept her room balance or whatever. But um, I just find it interesting that that human beings have lived all these centuries, and, and now we're we're all we all need to work on our and we we need it though, or we need to find a way to fit into the the world. Well, it's one of the luxuries of our time, right? Yeah. You know, now that we don't have to spend every minute concerned about survival. Right. We've got food <laughs> and over our, our food over our head. Right. A roof, a roof over our head. A yeah. roof over our head or food over our head, whatever. Yeah. And um and you know, we're haven't been in a world war. We haven't right. had the kind of economic crisis, although there have been economic crises, but not like yeah. the Great Depression, not like the Dust Bowl, not like, right. you know, um we have the luxury of a little time and space to go really think about it well who am i and how can i best share my gift with the world and there's always been self-help movements i mean it's it's all the way back to the greeks you know right um and before that i'm sure but there's definitely more now and particularly in the u.s and particularly in southern california i think you can't really you can't swing a cat without hitting a coach Um, and it's one of the reasons why I'd, i'd love to go teach more like in australia and in um and in europe because i feel like that the hunger is there, but it's not as culturally supported. It's not, right. you know, here you say, oh, I'm working with a coach, and everybody goes, oh, great, who? Oh, I know her, you know. Yeah. There, they just raise their eyebrows like, really? Yeah. You're paying what for what now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so. the way it is. Yeah. Um, when did you realize you were good at it? That's a good question. I mean, I've always, I've always been a good teacher. Um, like I said, I mean, I started teaching improv classes in 88 or something, right. you know, so I was always um, teaching and leading groups. Um, that was always a lot of a lot of what I did kind of naturally. And I don't think of myself as a coach. I mean, I have no certification in anything. Right. Like I said, I don't even have a college degree. I left Northwestern. Like, I got nothing. <laughs> so, and... You know, a lot of people have paid good money for those coaching certifications, and I, I don't want to claim to have something that I don't. I also work a little differently than they do. I'm not so much with the, like, let's walk the path together. I'm more like, let me tell you what to do, have you go off and do it, and then you come back and tell me that it worked. Right. That's the best part. Yeah, that's what I like. What's, what's the best part? What's, what's the part you enjoy the most of what you do? It's this sound. Oh. Yeah. I love it when people do that. What if something clicks? Yeah. Yeah. Something they didn't see before. Yeah. It means they're willing to think about something a new way. And it's often, there's like, oh, well, that would be easy. Or, oh, I could do that. Or, oh, that sounds like fun. Or, that sounds simple. Like, yes. Yeah. Go do. I love it. All right. You picked some fun questions from the observation deck. What's the worst costume or uniform you've ever had to wear for work? I don't know if it's the worst, but I was... Made me think of when I was in Chicago and I had a gig doing murder mystery dinner theater. <laughs> Love it. I'm in. <laughs> so we would we did this show. So I was in a prom dress. Right. It's a 1963 prom dress, and um, and we would act, and then we had to serve the food. <laughs> oh wow! But my date in that show was Jim O'Hare from Parks and Recreation. So there you go. Jim's another one who like sweetest guy in the world, and and uh, and you got your prom dress on. You're serving. Serving this horrible dinner. <laughs> was it was it fun at the time did you think it was cheesy or was it the time where you like this is great? Both. Yeah. 
It Got was it. cheesy and it was great. It was yeah. cheesy and great. The best things are cheesy and great. And it paid. Yes. And it was so it was a pretty it's good a gig. gig. Yeah. Um, any scars with stories? When I was twenty, I was in a big car wreck and I I broke my 12th thoracic vertebrae. I actually destroyed my 12th thoracic vertebrae. So Where is that? In that's the, the that's one of the low ones the in the back. Okay. Yeah, so it's one of those big ones. Wow. And I, so they took a bone graft in my hip, and I, you know, I had to learn to walk again. It was, I had a bilateral basal skull fracture. I, it was a big deal. Right. Um, yeah. Wow, so you still have scars. Yeah, Obviously. yeah, they're very sexy. Yeah. yeah. Although my sister, a couple years ago, <laughs> we were at the beach or something, and she goes, oh, Sam, she goes, it doesn't even really look like a scar anymore. It just looks like you have a really well-defined spine. I, I'll take it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, How did it change you? Sexy spine. My sexy spine. Um, how did it change me? It certainly, if I was not acutely aware of the frailty of life before that, I yeah. certainly have been afterwards. And I think... I think sometimes it, it's it's some of what motivates me in my work today is I yeah. really feel a deep urge to grab people by the lapels and go get your work done, get it out. Like we are here for about a second, right? And you don't know when the last second is. And I don't think you want to be the person standing in front of St. Peter going like. Well, I, I have all these notes that I was gonna. I was gonna, but you know, my mother wasn't very supportive, and my boyfriend didn't like it. You don't want to be that guy. Yeah. Do your work. Do your work. Get it done. Get it done. Give me your book. Get her your done. Book. <laughs> what three items are always in your refrigerator? So, like, what ten items are always in my refrigerator? I get teased by my friends for having. I have like full pantry syndrome. Like, yeah. I need to be able to feed an army of forty at any moment in time. That's a good thing. It gives me a sense of emotional security. Okay. Um, but mostly what there is is dairy products. Yeah. Love it. I'm from the Midwest. Don't get between me and my dairy products. Yeah. I got my cheese. I got my other cheese. I got my sour cream. I got my butter. I got... <laughs> it's all there. I love it. If there's those things and English muffins. I English muffins are fantastic. English muffins are fantastic. They really are. Mm -hmm. They have them at Grocery Outlet that keeps those. Yeah. Really yeah, 99. What did you get picked up for as a kid? Being weird. <laughs> Being very emotional. I was also, I mean, I was a very tall child. Right. And I was a tall baby. I was a tall toddler. I was a tall right. kid. I'm a tall adult. Um, and I was a year younger, and in some cases almost two years younger than some of the kids in my class. Because my birthday's in February. Right. Um, so that was weird, being a head taller and a year younger than everybody else. And I was verbally really precocious. And, and um, I mean, I could pretty much, I could keep up with the schoolwork. But socially, like, the difference between 9 and 11, or 11 and 13, or 13 and 15, like, that's those are some big jumps. Yeah. And um, I had a wonderful teacher. I had a lot of wonderful teachers. But one of my favorite teachers ever was in the fourth grade, um, Mrs. Martin. And she wrote in a in one of my comments, I think we all need to remember how young Samantha actually is. Because I presented like I was older, but yeah. I was really confused right. <laughs> by a lot of things. So I got yeah, so I was I did not have a lot of friends growing up. I cried a lot. There was a lot of shit going down in my family that like wasn't supposed to be happening in nice, polite Midwestern families. Right. Um 
because again, there weren't really words for it. There wasn't right. words for self-actualization or for abuse or for alcoholism or for, like, we didn't have right. language for that. We just didn't talk about it. We just didn't talk about it. Uh, and you didn't know it wasn't, like, happening in everybody's house. Right. Like, I don't know. So, um, yeah. So I got teased for being weird. Generally across the just board. All just That's all around weird. Just all around weird. Okay, and now look where it's got you. That's right. It's all paid off. Weird kids rule. Weird kids rule. Okay, <laughs> whose voice would you like to have as the Siri voice on your phone? Anybody's other than Siri. Yeah. <laughs> because the way Siri says my voice, it sounds like she's mad at me. Yeah. She's always like, you know, okay, Samantha. <laughs> <laughs> she's got a little bit of an attitude. She totally does. So I change it to the British guy. Yeah. But better. Oh, better. Well, you got you got your own apparently. You I have, have my own British, British guy, yes. So you don't need no computerized British guy. I have extra British guy. There you go. Um, <laughs> how can people learn more about the play, and uh, and and also your other things that you do? Yeah. So your best bet is just to get on my email list because, yeah. again, in terms of marketing, you know, like and you, your emails are fun. Thank sometimes you. Sometimes there's a poem. Sometimes there's a poem. Sometimes good. there's a recipe for roast chicken. I love it. Know, lentils. Uh, yeah. So. Come to startrightwhereyouare.com. Okay. That's uh, the name of your second book. Your the, books are Get It Done and Start Right Where You Are. Yep. And they're great for people that are creative and trying to motivate and organize and get it together. Yeah, they're fun. And, and Start Right Where You Are is the newer one. And it's it's especially fun because it's super short chapters. There's like 63 chapters, but yeah. they're a page or two. Like you can yeah. whip through it right away and they'll have a little action step. It's all very fun. Um, so if you go to startrightwhereyouare.com, you can opt in and get my Procrastination Domination Starter Kit yeah. and all kinds of other fun stuff. That's probably your best bet. Otherwise, theorganizedartistcompany.com. We have a new website that should be up any minute now. I was on it today. It looked great. Oh, think thanks. it's new? No, not okay. yet. Oh, okay. that's good. I'm glad wow. you liked the old one, too. <laughs> I did. I liked it. I liked the, I liked the design. I was into it. The new, one's, the new one's pretty great. I'm very pleased. Um, good. That'll be up in a couple of weeks. Love it. Um, and the show, you can go to in a booth at chastens.com. Yeah. It's playing at the El Portal starting in November, from pretty much the month of November. And if you use the promo code SAM25, all caps, S A M 25, you get 25% off the ticket. I love it. Yeah. It's a great treat. That's in my neighborhood, North Hollywood. Come on, there. It's all happening. We'll have a drink at the Federal. I love the Federal's right there. I love the Federal. We've been doing game nights at Mod Pizza, which is right around the corner. Yeah, yeah. Good pizza there, FYI. Oh, good to know. Cheap. Get to build whatever you want. Same price no matter what you get. Love pizza. I love it. Um, I wanted to run something by you and see if you had any thoughts. Okay, so you know I have this game coming out. Mm-hmm. And uh, created it with a friend. We're going to get them in our hands in December. A lot of people like yourself have already pre-ordered. Mm-hmm. I could not be more excited about it. And yet I have this thing of like, what's the show business fuck over thing that's going to happen around mm-hmm. it? Do you know what I mean? Even sure. though it's a totally different world. Mm-hmm. And I love my partner. And I, I like, I just... I'm looking. I'm looking for that thing so I can prevent the heartbreak ah. around something that I think is so splendid, right? And has so much potential. Okay, so I have a couple of. I have <laughs> You're a couple of, at me like, yeah, I've seen this before. I've seen this before. I've lived this before. I've, do you know what I'm saying? You've I been do. burned so many times that you're trying so many times to not step in it again. Right. So I have a few thoughts for you. Yay, thank you. One is, you can't prevent heartbreak. It's not the heart... That's not the, <laughs> it's 
That's not the thought I was looking for. Yeah. Okay. It's, if only it worked that way. You know, and I right. never understood that when people are like, well, don't get your hopes up and then you won't be disappointed. I say that always doesn't get, work. Get your hopes up. Is get my, your hopes I, have up. A, I wrote it on a rock. Yes. Because not getting your hopes up doesn't, doesn't, A, it doesn't work. Right. And at least when your hopes are up, that's joy that you felt. Exactly. So why deprive yourself of joy? Thank you. And, um, and when I wrote it on a rock. Yeah, so, and, and you kind of run right into the heartbreak. I mean, if your right. heart's going to get broken, it's going to get broken. Right. And you'll, we'll all learn a valuable lesson, right? Um, but I also think there is some healthy detachment and skepticism that we learn from experience. You right. know, that feeling of like, oh, I'll, six weeks after the check clears, I will celebrate getting right. this check. Right. You know, like, we're... Um, right. I get it. And looking for the places that are sticky or those those red flags those the craze oh look that person's crazy oh okay good to know right um i think those i think that's perfectly healthy i i we want to stay away from that ever vigilant right right we want to lean back and trust there's also something and i'm really feeling this with chasen's um the musical i love this show i'm incredibly proud of it i think it's so sweet and charming and fun and Lovely. I think it's a lovely, lovely show. And I kind of have my hands off it. Like, and it's a, it's a financial, you know, they didn't invest in it because of my pretty green eyes. You know, they invested in it because they thought it could make money. Right. And we wrote it because we thought it could make money. So that feeling of like, okay, I've done the best I could. And now I'm going to let people who really know what to do with a lot of money do their thing um, and sort of let the project decide how big it wants to be. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not really my job to decide how big this project becomes. Um, and I'd love to see it everywhere. I'd love to see it in, in, in Asia. I'd love to see it in Europe. I'd love yeah. to see it. In it's the next love letters. Towns all over. Next love letters. Exactly. Towns all over us, you know, community theaters, Cruise ships, you know. At one point, we were talking about one of the Osmond kids, like Marie's nephew or something, was interested. And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, bring on bring the Osmond kids!" Yes, sure. So, um, I don't know, sort of surrendering to the great mercantile gods of the sky, and just right. going like, "Let." And it doesn't mean not putting your heart into it and not doing your best work. Of course, we put our heart into it, and of course, we do our best right. work. But we also make a substitute. But it's not you. It's not a commentary on you. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. How do I make this thing not play into a storyline that I'm trying to escape? Right. But maybe I'm perpetuating by my own attitude. Well, and this and that's something to... I've, um, I just had a conversation with my team about that the other day. Because I said, look, we've got to find some new systems. Because I keep coming up with projects and... Saying really out loud, like this is gonna be totally different. Like this is so great. This is such a new idea. I've never tried anything like this before. This is gonna be super fun. We're gonna make a ton of money. This is gonna be great. And then I end up creating the exact same thing I've always created. Right. Like we're gonna have to get some. We're gonna have to get somebody else's brain in here or some other way of doing things because you will. You will run your own patterns and you will create the exact same results that you always do. Yeah. So, um, and that's a hard thing learning how to negotiate the discomfort. Of that because sometimes we feel uncomfortable because something's just new and different and we've never done it that way before. Right. And sometimes we feel uncomfortable because it's really a bad match for us. And it's really hard to tell the difference. 
do that. You kind of just have to step sort of slowly and with a great deal of consciousness. Really stay aware of your own grip and everybody else's. Really trust your own inner wisdom. And then be in a constant state of deep prayer. Oh, there you go. <laughs> deep, deep, deep prayer. Deep constantly. Prayer. Deep prayer. All right. Deep prayer. I love that. I love that. Uh, final question. Why do you love what you do? Well, partly because I get to do it in my pajamas. <laughs> there you go. That's a good answer. Uh, yeah, I love having control of my time. I love, I'm super shy and super introverted, so. That's not... interesting because you present yourself as very uh, gregarious and funny and fun. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, yes, people often don't believe that I'm as shy and introverted as I am, but I am. So the fact that I get to mostly stay home and mostly be in my pajamas and hang out with cats and read and write and talk about creativity all day long with people who, you know, I love what I do. It provides me a beautiful life. I spend all day talking about what I love with other people talking about what they love. Yeah. Like, sometimes I feel like I live in sort of a weird bubble. That's great, though. But don't you feel like you earned it? Don't you feel proud of, like, what you weathered I what do, you created? I do feel proud of what I've weathered and what I've created. And I also, but I also, it's like jailbreak. Like, I really right. want to just run around to everybody and go, like, you can do it, too. It's not that hard. Right. It's really not I'm, that hard. I've got a knife. I've got a little file <laughs> that was in a cake, and I'm right. filing it off. I have this fantasy of, like, taking all of my friends out to dinner who have helped me through the rough patch yeah. and, like, buying. Yes. <laughs> but we can't do that yet. But I had that fantasy three years ago. I love that. I love, and, and I will tell you, like, I've got an American Express Business Platinum card now. Yeah. That, like, throwing that down to buy dinner for people is the best feeling in the world. I walked past a busker the other day. I dropped 20 bucks in this guitar case. There you go. Because I remember, you know, I overtip every server in the world. I don't care how crappy they are because I just know that that five bucks means so much more to them than right. it does to me. And I remember when I had the job where right. one nice person could make your night. Would totally make your night. Yeah. And that one 22% tip and you're like, all right, yeah. I won't murder everyone today. <laughs> <laughs> what a relief that is for everyone. <laughs> right? That's why we're at America's Safest Beach. That's right. Cutting down on the murder rate. <laughs> all right. We've come full circle. Thank you so much for talking to me. I'm so inspired by what you do. Thank you. And um, um, check out the show everybody and uh, also her books and her website yes right. and then get on my email list and then write me back and tell me about your projects and we'll be pen pals and best friends it'll be great yay bye thanks again to sam bennett for the fun interview and for making me want to move to carpinteria it's beautiful uh go see the play in a booth at chasen's which you can find out about at in a booth at chasen's.com you also might love her books get it done and start right where you are also, check out her website, theorganizedartistcompany.com. Okay, so this happened. My good friend and past guest on the podcast, Michael Seldich, recommended me for this cool writing gig. It's called Imagined Life, and it is a new podcast from the Wondery Company, and each episode is about a well-known person. And the way it's presented is it's told in the second person, and you don't find out who the person is until the very end. So it's kind of like a mystery. Uh, and the writing is sort of like you walk into the room, your heart is pounding, you know, you, you, you know, this could be your big chance, but you're afraid you'll screw it up. So you sort of talks to you like you're the person. Um, so I wrote my first script. It's a lot of work. First of all, you have to research the person and come up with an outline. 
and but it's real writing and it's it's sort of a mixture of kind of a celebrity profile which i love and sort of like a movie because you write actual scenes um it's just really kind of a novel you know like it's it's got it all and uh so i worked on my first one and um my script is going to be the first episode that launches the podcast this friday november 4th which is very exciting so um i can't tell you who i wrote about uh but i can tell you that virginia madsen is the narrator and it's been really great so far it's the most i've felt like a real writer in a very long time which feels good and um i listened to the rough cut of the first one and i was so impressed with it it really sucks you in Virginia Madsen's performance is amazing and the things that they do with sound and music and attitude, just the whole thing is just like, wow. So I'm really proud of it. I hope you guys will give it a listen on Friday. It's called Imagined Life. You can find it anywhere you get your podcasts and you can also check it out at wondery.com. So they sent me a trailer for it. Um, I'm going to play it for you guys now um, and to give you a little taste of what it might be like. Have you ever wondered what it would feel like to be famous? Before you were famous? Imagine. You're 14 years old and you run away from home. You're a teenager in South Africa. Brilliant. Lost in your own world. You get pregnant, but the baby doesn't survive. Bullied so badly, you end up in the hospital. You go on and become the first female anchor in Nashville, Tennessee. You will go on to stir controversy and build a media empire. And build electric cars and space rockets. You are. You are. It has to be big, because the world is big. Use this moment. From Wondery, I'm Virginia Madsen. And I'm Robbie Damon. And this is Imagined Life. On each episode of Imagined Life, one of us will take you on an immersive journey into the life of someone you may think you know, even admire, or maybe the opposite. Will you find out who you are? So sit back, let go, and imagine. Imagine your life. Premiering November 4th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. So there you go. That's the trailer for Imagine Life. Check it out when it drops next Friday, and we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. <laughs>